Start the Week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Damien Francis and joining me again on Start the Week is guest co-host, Pure PR founder and managing director, Phoebe Neto. Good morning, Damo. As we record, it's 7am in Sydney on today's episode. Trinity P3 pushes agencies to declare issues of harassment, bullying and assault. Breakfast rating disaster for Network 10 as it bids big for the AFL. And the stats that show marketers are still struggling with MyTech. Unmade. Phoebe, welcome back. Great to have you here again. Another early start. How was your weekend? I had a great weekend, Damo. I enjoyed watching the ABC 90 Celebrate special where they were looking back on 90 years of the ABC. And um, fun fact, Damo, today is the anniversary of the launch of Hotmail.com, the first free web-based email service. It was founded in 1996. Wow, that is a a fun fact indeed. And more embarrassingly, the fact that people still use their Hotmail.com email address. But uh, we'll we'll move away from that very quickly. You sure know how to have a a rock and roll weekend, Phoebes. (laughs) Yep, you know me well, Dave. And what, (laughs) what about you? What was your weekend? Was it all about the British Grand Prix? Uh, it, it was largely about the the British Grand Prix. We did get away for the weekend for a little bit up in uh, in Bilpin. If you don't know Sydney, it's sort of at the base of the Blue Mountains. Kind of lucky we came back on uh, Saturday uh, because with all the the rain issues in Sydney at the moment, as we speak, it's horrendously dark and rainy outside. But um, it seems there's a few flooding issues around that area at the moment so hopefully everyone around there is is doing okay because they've already been through a, a fair bit this this year but, uh yeah like you say the, the british grand prix and i'll tell you what that was actually an interesting interesting race and, and and something sort of relevant for the podcast as well so spoiler alert for those who haven't watched it but um the start of the race we saw probably one of the biggest accidents in recent history in, in Formula One with uh, the Chinese driver uh, Zhou Guan Yu for Alfa Romeo having a horrendous accident and uh, going upside down through the gravel and then bouncing over the tyre barrier into the catch fence upside down still and sort of coming to a rest between the grandstand and, and the tyre barrier. It was uh, an absolutely horrendous incident when you watch it again. Thankfully, he's okay. He was uh, got out of the car conscious, taken to hospital, done the checks. Everything was fine. Um, but really interesting in the way that Formula One decided to cover it because we heard recently from drivers that they disliked how there was this sort of Netflix drive to survive Hollywoodification, if you will, of Formula One. And this goes for, for all sports, really, not just Formula One, where – any sort of disasters or, or challenges and the camera automatically focuses on on the issue and, uh, you know, uh, pulls in without really thinking of the consequences of that. And what we've got to remember, of course, is they, these are live events. Well, what's happening is, is real. It's it's happening in real time. We don't necessarily know what's going to go on. And, and these are watched by 
heaps of people, millions of people around the world of all ages, of course. So, you know, for my son who currently is watching the the replay, you know, they go into it, uh, seeing these things happen, getting really close in on it and not really knowing what the outcome is. So, really interesting in the race today where the crash happened and you saw it in the background as the car sort of came out of turn one, this crash happening, but then there was no replay absolutely no replay at all until we realized that Joe Guan Yu was actually okay. And, and the commentators went to great lengths to say that we are purposely not showing replays of this accident until we know that the driver is okay. Once that had happened, once he had passed, uh, gotten out of the car um, and was in the medical center and conscious and everything was okay, then they showed the replay of of the the accident. No doubt, it's on YouTube now and under the F one channel and and all oh, of that. But so I thought all the front pages, all the front pages, all of that, all the the Insta stories and and TikTok and all that sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. I thought it was a really interesting approach for Formula One to just get up uh, straight away and go, no, we're not going to show any replays. It shows that they're listening to the drivers. Mm. shows that they're thinking about the audience. Uh, interesting in, in its sort of reaction to, like I say, what the, the Netflix drive to survive sort of, um, I, I guess, approach to Formula One has, has brought out. So a, a change in, in the midst, it, it seems. But um, we, we have more to discuss than just Formula One, but I think an, an interesting look at where sports coverage or live event coverage uh, could possibly be going in the future. But, Phoebe's uh, probably time to get into our first uh, proper topic of the morning. So our first big topic of the morning is that yesterday, Sunday, Trinity P3 founder and global CEO Darren Woolley published on LinkedIn a post titled Why Trinity P3 is Requesting Agencies Declare on Issues of Harassment, Bullying and Assault in the interests of clients and the wider industry. It read, quote, issues of harassment, bullying, and even assault are sadly nothing new for the advertising industry. From today, marketing management consultancy Trinity P3 will be asking all agencies who join one of their pitches to sign a stat deck. Damo, this is a big move. Why now? Yeah, it's a a really big move. It's it's an important move, frankly. Why now? Look, uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be now, but we've we've seen this year um, already in the first half uh, some fairly uh, significant issues uh, play out in in the trade media and the main media as well to do with the the advertising industry, uh, Ella Campbell, no less, uh, and, and others. Uh, and it's an issue that we've been talking about for a long, long time in the, the media marketing advertising industry, you know, harassment, bullying and assault. There's, there's, a, lot, um, there's a lot going on here and, and it has to do with the sustainability of the industry, frankly, because we talk about sustainability all the time, but it's probably time to talk about sustainability as it, as it uh, relates to cultural sustainability and employee sustainability. Uh, there's an increasing awareness of the issues that we're facing, but arguably there's uh, there's not enough action. And 
Darren and, and Trinity P3 here are, are sort of mentioning that the wave of issues that we've seen, not just over the last year, but but prior to that as well, largely for women in the industry, but obviously it, it goes deeper than that uh, as well. Um, and part of this uh, part of this realization is that there are so many organisations out there to try and and correct the situation or at least bring some publicity to the situation. You know, organizations like the Mavens, um, and, and excuse the, the language, but fuck the cupcakes, she call the aunties. Uh, the fact that there's so many of them is probably a good sign that, that there is a, an issue in the industry. Cause if there wasn't, you wouldn't need so many organizations. Um, now what uh, Trinity P3 have essentially done is, is, to open up that discussion further by saying that, um, you know, the the agencies that want to become part of the pitch process with, with some of the Trinity P3 clients need to sign, as you mentioned, Phoebes, a, a, a stat deck, which um, outlines uh, where they sort of stand on, on this situation. And, and I'll read uh, the, the, the sort of main points of, of that stat deck. Uh, now, that is, uh, the agency has to define their status in regard to complaints of workplace bullying, harassment, and assault. Uh, the agency has to detail their use of deeds of confidentiality and other legal instruments potentially gagging victims and others from reporting such workplace behaviours. Uh, and it also asks for warrants on poli- uh, policies and processes regarding meeting agency obligations as employers in ensuring the safety of their employees and contractors. So essentially what that does is it, it then enables the clients to, to see where the agencies are positioned on, on these matters. Not signing the stat deck doesn't count an agency out of, of a, a, a pitch. Um, they don't have to or they can sign the stat deck and cross out some some components of it if uh, they haven't, uh, you know, uh, been able to to verify that they're at all of those stages. Um, but it's a really interesting way to bring it back to light and, and to have agencies, you know, really be open about where they stand uh, on, the, on the current situation, what their agency is actually doing. To, to Trinity P3's point here in this whole situation, EAPs or employee assistant programs, you know, they're in place and that's a good thing, uh, but really they're there to help victims because the victims exist because these things are happening. So it, it's a it's a band-aid over the wound and ideally you don't want the wound happening in the first place. So how do you uh, sort out that situation and not just rely on it on the EAPs, which uh, you know uh, Trinity P three suggests is, is kind of pushing that issue under the rug a little bit, and in, in that they don't get talked about so much. It all sort of becomes quite private um, at that stage. But and, and also, there's only so far an EAP can go with individual issues. A hundred percent. You know, it, it, it's designed to solve the issue, not stop the issue from happening in the first place. Um, and I guess, you know, look, the other thing that um, this brings forward is, you know, Trinity P3 suggests that it's gone to a number of the 
industry bodies um, and organizations to try and gain support here to perhaps uh, perhaps have a independent reporting process run through those bodies um, now Trinity P3 says that the the sort of reaction to that wasn't wasn't great um, with the emphasis being on the EAPs really should be doing that job. Uh, so it'll be interesting now to see what the agency reaction is to this and, and whether the industry bodies have some sort of uh, response to the, the comments uh, that uh, Trinity P3 is making. Uh, this all came out in, in the the LinkedIn post uh, that Darren Woolley uh, wrote um, on the weekend on Sunday. So if you haven't read that, you know, do do go to LinkedIn and have a look at that. But um, Phoebes, I'd be interested to get a, getting your uh, opinion on this because you know part of your day job is dealing with crisis communications, reputation management. Um, as someone who sort of sits within the industry, but but also you know gets to observe. What do you think of, of the situation? Well. I think if you look at the LinkedIn post, you'll see that when it comes to bringing up poor conduct in general, if you aren't the first person to say something, then you're in a position of just needing to publicly support that initiative for change or at least remain silent because if you do anything else, it's like touching the third rail. So last I checked, all of the comments on that LinkedIn post were completely supportive and it is really positive that this is this initiative is making these issues a greater concern for agencies and it's got people talking about it we're talking about it now so in that sense it's a really good move um because in general when you've got negative issues you see this with investigative reporting that bringing issues out into the open is a strong first step to addressing them and this is just another level of, of transparency beyond what we've had so far in agencies talking about it. Well, now this is going to uh, commit them to some level of action and hopefully it will lead to some measurable change. Um, but I do have some questions about how this is going to work in practice. For example, um, to what extent will an agency be penalised because they have a current allegation that's being investigated? Because not all allegations indicate bad behaviour or poor culture because they are allegations. That's all they are at that stage. And what if there is an allegation but they're handling it really well? So I'd be interested to see if there's room for nuance here for the agencies that fill out the stat deck. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really good. Uh, really good questions there. Yeah, to, from what I understand, uh, you know, look, look, the agency can or doesn't have to sign the the stat deck, and the client can or doesn't have to act on whether the agency did or didn't uh, sign the stat deck, or can ask more questions uh, around it. So, you know, from what I can tell, it, it seems like it's. It's about transparency, really. And then if the client is um, worried about the way that the agency has responded to the stat deck, well, I, I guess they can either go, well, we don't, maybe we don't want to work with that agency, or maybe we do, but we want to ask them some more questions around that before we go forward with, um, 
uh, you know, without n- negotiations. Um, but, geez, it's going to be really interesting to see how that one plays out. I have a feeling there will be a lot of comment from agencies, um, whether that's on their record or off the record. I'm, I'm not sure how that will happen. But, um, you know, it, 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 will, it will play out in the very near future. Well, hopefully it, it leads to some collaboration from agencies. And now that this is a talking point, um, that they and it, it actually impacts on them in a commercial way. Uh, maybe they'll be more willing now to work together on the issue since the industry bodies don't see a role for themselves here. Yeah, look, like I say, very interesting to see what they say. Very interesting to see what the industry bodies say as well, because obviously, you know, look, there's always two sides to, to every story. So it'll be interesting to see how the industry bodies respond uh, if they do um, in public to uh, the the. Uh, comments uh, that that have come out uh, in this post, but like you said earlier, Phoebes, I think it, it it's always good to have these uh, challenges, um, and they're not nice challenges. Uh, have them talked about more in the hope that there's actually some action. Coming up next, Network Ten bids big on the AFL. Demo Network 10, of course owned by Paramount ANZ, has put in a big bid for arguably Australia's biggest sport, the AFL. Yeah, that's correct, Phoebe. That's according to reports from The Australian and John Stenschult. Now, he reports the offer to be worth $600 million annually over at least five years. Uh, and he also suggests a deal one uh, a deal that wants to be done within a month uh, from the AFL's side. Uh, incumbents at the moment, of course, are Foxtel and, and Seven West Media, who uh, are still said to be the favourites. Uh, and also that Nine has shown a, a little bit of interest here and has uh, made a play for limited games uh, on a Thursday night. Um, that was according to sources to The Australian. Um, so it, it seems like it's all kind of really kicking off here and uh, that uh, the, the outgoing CEO, Glenn McLaughlin, is keen to lock in one last deal before he uh, exits. Um, now, the previous deal was a, a record. It was um, $2.508 billion dollars over six years from 2017. Now, that was reduced uh, a bit because of the pandemic. We don't quite know how much it was reduced by, uh, but it was uh, reduced. Uh, But Foxtel and uh, Seven West Media had negotiated extensions uh, with the AFL uh, for the 23 and 24 seasons, which was reportedly worth uh, $946 million uh, for those seasons combined. Um, But look... This uh, this offer, if the Australian's correct, um, shows just how much uh, Paramount ANZ Network Ten uh, really, really wants to have. You know, the premier sport, arguably the premier NRL fans will argue me on that one, but you know, arguably the, the, the premier sport of Australia on on its network, and it seems like it wants uh, all of the fixtures and the rights, and that would obviously go across the. The free-to-air channels, uh, ten channels, as well as Paramount Plus on on the streaming side. Now, 
We know already that the AFL has spoken to a, a number of uh, interested parties about this. Obviously, the commercial networks, as I mentioned, but uh, there were all those reports that um, the team had gone over to the US and tried to drum up some interest from global streaming giants, uh, including the likes of uh, Amazon. So it's uh, it's getting to a head, this, but look, 10 really could do with a, a tier one sport like uh, like the AFL to, to get it going. Uh, interestingly enough, over, over the weekend, there were some pretty interesting reports on, uh, on some of its uh, other programming. You mentioned the struggle that they've currently got and, and that we've now seen extends into their breakfast ratings. So, look, Zoe Samios uh, in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, has covered the uh, the results, essentially year to date of uh, or year to date survey, uh, which I should say is the forty week uh, ratings year. Um, now, the results of that audience share in the metro markets: seven has thirty eight point nine percent, nine on thirty eight point five percent, and. 10 back at 22.6%. Uh, but as you mentioned just then, there was another report uh, this time by uh, Sophie Ellsworth in The Australian um, on the first week of 10 News First Breakfast. Uh, now, that's 10's intention to sort of get back in the news game in the morning. It's not a full-on breakfast program like Sunrise or Today. Uh, it's just a half an hour spot at 8am, uh, Monday to Friday. But uh, the average viewers across that week, the first week over the five major metro cities was 17,000, uh, which isn't particularly good, and that's being polite. Now, 10 uh, said uh, to the 10 has been quoted as saying that it's lifted the 2022 average rating for that slot by 13% because of uh, 10 News First Breakfast. Um, which probably says more about the the ratings prior to that then. But for context, ABC News Breakfast, which certainly isn't number one in, in the, the breakfast slot, that's averaging 189,000 um, per week. So a lot to make up there uh, for 10. And, and, you know, if you think back, you remember to 2013 where they tried a full-on breakfast show, uh, Wake Up, which uh, had – people like uh, Natasha Belling, Natasha Exelby, uh, James Matheson, uh, and that was axed after six months. So a little bit of a, a rocky start for 10 News First Breakfast, but it is a different format. It is only the first week. Uh, so we will see how that uh, carries on. Coming up next, Meta's stab at the news media bargaining code. Unmade. Phoebe, this one broke early this morning from Zoe Samios in the Sydney Morning Herald in The Age. Comments from Meta and Google on the news media bargaining code as Australian Treasury is preparing to run a series of roundtables to evaluate the effectiveness of its framework, uh, the framework of which was introduced last February. Uh, what are the comments, Tara, I ask? Dare you ask. Uh, at an inquiry into local journalism by the House of Commons in the UK, both Google and Meta were asked what they had learnt from the introduction of Australia's news media bargaining laws. And here's what Tom Morris Bell, who's Google's government affairs and public policy manager, said. 
He said, nobody has been designated under the code yet. That code has not come into force. Nobody knows how that law works. He also said that the Australian government recognised Google's licensing deals for its news showcase product as being the best way forward, as opposed to the way deals could be struck under the code. And we know that Google has previously hid out at the code, but it had since seemed to calm or at least quieten down its opinion and it got on with independent deal-making. Now, unsurprisingly, Meta's comments are not very complimentary, somewhat in line with the hard stance we've seen a take on negotiations to date. And at the UK inquiry, John Severinsen, head of partner development at Meta, said the new Australian media laws did not encourage collaboration between media and tech companies. He said that the government should encourage the development of new business models. One of the learnings from Australia is that it doesn't solve or attempt to solve the underlying issue in that the business model of journalism online is broken and needs to transition to a new reality. And then he scuppers the bargaining comment, bargaining laws with this comment, and I quote, we can see the agreements that we have closed with publishers in Australia following all the events over there. Some of these publishers have used this money instead to pay down debt or give it to shareholders. It doesn't incentivize collaboration, and we think smart regulation should do that. Quite critical comments, Damo. Are you surprised by any of this, though? Jeez, critical comments indeed. Am I surprised by this? uh, Sadly not. Look, you know, when you talk about meta, as you sort of alluded to there, Phoebe, it's not surprising that publicly the the business is making these comments. Um, You know, look... If there is anyone they're not pointing the finger at, surely it's got to be uh, SBS and, and the conversation because they never got any money from Meta to spend uh, on <laughs> shareholders or bonuses yeah, exactly. or anything else like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, it, interesting um, that they've done this this hardline stance. Um, Meta all along has been quite clearly not particularly happy with the situation, you know, as you've said before as well, Google at the start was also very unhappy and threatened to shut down the search engine in Australia. Meta actually did shut down news in in Australia in February last year for a a week or thereabouts, which to be honest, probably did more damage to small business than it did to to media for for that week because there are a lot of small businesses affected by that because it seems – now, you know, there's argument whether this was on purpose or not, but it seems that what they did um, was uh, potentially designed to affect all small businesses. But, um, you know, obviously none of that can, can really be proven. But look, Meta's had this hardline stance. They've obviously done deals with, uh, with some major media, um, some big deals uh, as well. Uh, but like I said with the SBS and the conversation, uh, they've also been quite adamant when they're not uh, going to to do deals. And there doesn't seem to be 
a, a pattern to who they will and, and won't do deals with. But, you know, SME publishers have, have you know, suggested that they're not going to get anywhere with Meta um, and certainly some of the bigger players like SBS in the conversation uh, haven't either. The Wall Street Journal was also reporting that the Meta was reconsidering deals that had put in place uh, with the uh, Australian media and is clearly still worried about, you know, possible global ramifications that the news media bargaining code in Australia could have in, in other countries trying to, to follow suit. Um, but look, uh, designation under under the news media bargaining code. Um, it seems like Meta's sort of poking the bear a bit with this and uh, suggesting that uh, maybe it doesn't really care if it uh, gets designated or not, or maybe it will pull you know news again from the local market. Who knows? But they're, they're certainly not being shy with their their stance at the moment. Uh, and like I say, to be honest that's not necessarily different to, to how they've been previously when it comes to the news media bargaining code. Well, as you as you mentioned, there's a lot at stake for them with the global precedent here and, and these comments were made at an inquiry into local journalism by the House of Commons in the UK. So it'd be interesting to see um, the results of these roundtables that the Australian Treasury is preparing to run and um, into the effectiveness of the framework. Look, I'd also like to see whether publishers jump out now and actually respond to the the quote that um, you know online journalism uh, it, effectively what they're saying there is it, it's not a great business model. Uh, I'd love to to see what the the comeback is to that because surely some of the publishers won't be taking that one lying down. I'd suggest that that business model has changed radically necessarily over the past few years and, and isn't such a bad thing uh, at the moment, but uh, let that argument play out. Up next, market is still on struggle straight with MarTech. Unmade. So a quick one to round out this podcast, Phoebes. A recent report on marketingcharts.com has revealed that the numbers of marketing technology solutions is extremely high while the understanding of them by marketers is quite low. Uh, There is also far more spending on MarTech solutions than talent, while there are significant talent gaps acknowledged. Now, this seems like a a very upside down and roundabout sort of way of uh, doing business in marketing, if it is indeed true. But, uh, Phoebes, what were the top line figures there? So these results are based on a clever touch survey of 639 senior marketers across North America, Europe and the UK. And in this study, close to half of marketers agree that they are overwhelmed with technology. That's not surprising when the number of MyTech solutions has grown to almost 10,000. Now, seven in 10 marketers in this research said that their biggest challenge in executing multi-channel campaigns is the technical knowledge and skills required. And 90% of respondents said that they will focus their investments in technology as opposed to the 10% who will focus on talent management and organisational development. But perhaps that's due to skill shortages and not necessarily technology being preferred over skilled staff. You need to have talent available. 
to be able to spend money on them. Um, And then more than two-thirds of respondents are outsourcing all of their campaign delivery to an agency or a consultancy, and more than one in five have started to keep less of their campaign delivery in-house over the past year. Damo, what do you think? Is that due to the challenges of hiring talent right now um, or a deficit in technical knowledge in-house, or is that more about cost efficiencies? Uh, Can I say all of the above? Uh, Because I I think genuinely... um, that uh, that is true it is it is all of the above um look there, there's a a talent shortage at the moment across the media and marketing industry and and we're well aware of that and there doesn't seem to be an obvious solution at the moment and what it's resulted in is businesses and not just agencies we focused a bit on agencies but it's not just agencies it's brands as well um the marketing department's paying over the odds to get the talent they need and that obviously uh, constricts the budget from from then on. So it's not necessarily surprising that um, marketers are therefore uh, focusing on MarTech solutions to to try and bridge the gap. But like you said, with, with almost 10,000, according to this report, uh, MarTech solutions, there's no wonder that, that people are, are getting confused. You know, marketers are marketers. They're not, uh, you know, chief technology officers. They're their, their job is somewhere in the middle of um, creativity and strategy and technology and to be able to keep up with all of the MarTech solutions um, it is, I would suggest, impossible. You need to start having specialists depending on the uh, MarTech solution you have, um, which, again, in a talent shortage becomes extraordinarily difficult. Um, now, I was I was really interested to to read that uh, again. According to this study, uh, um, almost half uh, of the people surveyed admit that they uh, have Martech platforms that have largely gone unused during the pandemic. Now, again, doesn't necessarily surprise me because if you don't know how to use them, why why would you? There's so much going on. The training to figure out how to use them. And then to figure out whether that's actually useful for you uh, is probably not the the best use of time unless you know for sure that if you get trained up for it, you will actually use it substantially. Um, And and another stat there, only one in three have used all of their platforms over the past 18 months. Well, you know, again, not necessarily surprising, but, um, you know, it, it goes back to a question that I often ask the industry people that I speak to who are in and around Martech of, of who essentially is controlling this environment. Is it is it the the, the marketers at brands saying that this is what we need uh, and therefore, you know, we need this Martech solution to enable that? Or is it agencies uh, saying to the Martech providers and their brand clients, this is what you should use and this is what you need to develop? Or is it the MarTech um, platforms saying, well, this is what we've developed, uh, go ahead and use it. There's a really interesting ecosystem there where I don't necessarily know whether we've figured out who's leading the the chain of, of command here. And, you know, as the study shows now with almost 10,000 MarTech solutions, you know, the other challenge is you, you go and invest in some on the advice of whoever it is and, you know, they're not around in a year's time or they've been bought by another Martech Solutions company and rolled into something else. And um, it's a really 
uh, interesting but confusing uh, situation at the moment. Well, that's almost it for today. We'd love to hear what you think of it at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. And a big thank you uh, again for joining me this week, Phoebes. Uh, Tim will be back on Start the Week next week. It's been great having you along for the ride the last three weeks. Uh, I know that your usual wake-up time is around 4 a.m. anyway, so this is kind of like midday for you, but uh, the effort to wake up (laughs) so early uh, to join the podcast is uh, very much appreciated. So thank you so much for coming on board. I've enjoyed it, Damo. Now, I'll be back uh, tomorrow with the latest Choose Data post for paying members of Unmade, and that will focus on uh, the TV uh, spots for the month of June. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. Thanks for listening. See you later. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.